Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. I've never won the lottery, so I don't know what it feels like, but I especially don't know what it feels like to win the lottery, lose the lottery, and win the lottery again, all in the matter of about an hour. Uh, two weeks ago, a Tennessee man won the Tennessee lottery for nearly $1.2 million dollars lost the ticket while outrunning errands and about an hour later found the ticket in an O'Reilly Auto Parks parking lot right next to somebody else's car. Uh, All's well that ends well, I suppose. But John, if you win the lottery for more than a million dollars, can I assume that ticket is immediately going somewhere safer than your wallet or your back pocket? And you're definitely not running errands with the tiny million dollar piece of paper in your possession? Well, you know, Eric, you're luring me right back to my hole-in-one story from last week that you ruled to be a flagrant one <laughs> humble brag violation, but it relates to this so well, I, I can't resist. Uh, yeah. So I'm on the next tee. I'm already addressing the ball, my driver for the par five hole. Now, there are woods just like two or three feet left of the tee box. They send for more than 200 yards. The play is to hit it to the wide open right side, even though the green is to the left on top of a hill, almost 500 yards away. So the safer you play it, the longer you make the hole. Well, there's a point of no return in your shot process and any golfer knows and i just gotten there when i realized crap i have to take this magic ball out of play i mean but it was too late i just sucked it up kept a tight focus and hit that sucker right down broadway uh so maybe the guy was at his own point of no return and he had to complete the errands before taking the ball or okay lottery ticket in this case out of play and it worked out for both of us too uh incidentally the ball had a new york knicks logo on it from an outing that they had held earlier that summer which tells anyone who missed last week's show that this ace had to have happened more than 20 years ago because no success story since then of any sort has had the words new york knicks in it <laughs> there you go well, when we get to the bankroll segment, I will. Uh, I, I do have plans to make a bet that addresses the Knicks' unlikely success this season. Okay. But of course, success success being their 500 right now, so mm. it's all relative, I, I guess. Um, but you make a good point about this guy. That yeah, the only acceptable excuse is if he was already out with the lottery ticket in his wallet or his pocket when he discovered that it was the winning ticket and had not yet had a chance to put it somewhere safe. Uh, But if I already know that I have that that ticket worth that kind of money, I'm not going outside with it. Here's how unlikely (laughs) I am to go out with a loose $1.2 million piece of paper in my pocket. I'm uncomfortable having hundred dollar bills in my wallet. You know, like when I do well at the casino and I cash out for a few hundred bucks, I don't know if that counts as me doing a humble brag, (laughs) Um, but uh, when that happens and they pay me in hundreds, I'm heading to the bank to deposit them as soon as I can. I don't like the responsibility of a single piece of paper worth a hundred dollars in my possession. So I would say a piece of paper worth more than uh, 10,000 times that that's, that's something I'm locking up somewhere. Yeah, I, I, that makes all the logical sense in the world, but like just feeling like I have this, I'm holding it, it's mine. And then instead of saying, you know, even you put it in a, in a safety deposit box or something, but then you walk around and it's not, you don't have, you don't have it. I mean, it's a safer place, but you know, you, you, you forget which bank you're at, you forget the company, <laughs> something you just, I, I don't know. I think, I think it would mess with my head. So I'm, I'm a little bit sympathetic. 
Hmm. Well, I guess I would say to, to all future lottery winners, I think that when you win, the thing you're supposed to do is immediately call your lawyer or your accountant and figure out how to handle it before you uh, announce to anyone else that you've won. Uh, and they should have some good advice for you. So uh, I would just say, uh, make, make that call. I assume their advice would include not going running errands with the ticket in your pocket. Well, I think you might have to call your doctor after more than four hours from what I understand from the commercials, <laughs> because there might be a side effect from, from winning more than a million dollars that would that produce. Too. Some that too. There you go. Lawyer, <laughs> lawyer, doctor, accountant, call them all. All right. Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 135 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 134 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. But we have just migrated to a new host, Spreaker, which houses the rest of the Roto Grinders podcast network. So find us on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, and also on SoundCloud, although maybe not for much longer. Or just make it easy on yourself. Subscribe using any of these apps, and it won't matter where we are because you'll never have to look for the podcast. It'll just magically appear on your device every week. Uh, Spreaker. Wow, that's awesome because I've got to be honest. I, I'm not familiar with it, but there's a lot of things <laughs> I'm not familiar with, as regular listeners know. Uh, but I'm all for being part of the Roto Grinders Podcast Network. That sounds yes. cool. And uh, coming up a little later on the show, in recognition of March being Problem Gambling Awareness Month, we're going to be joined by Seth Polanski, the Vice President of Corporate Social Responsibility and Communications for Conscious Gaming. We'll talk to Seth about self-exclusion mechanisms and about educating gamblers about the difference between regulated and unregulated sites. And we'll also get his insights on the NFL and the WSOP, two organizations he's worked for in the past. But first, another week in the world of gambling has gone by. So let's talk about it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. This week's biggest gambling story is a tough one to sum up in just a few sentences or to discuss comprehensively within about five minutes, but we'll try. In Tennessee, the first state to launch mobile sports betting without retail sports betting or brick-and-mortar casinos, there are several name brand online sports books, FanDuel, DraftKings, BetMGM. And then there's one smaller local operator that only exists in Tennessee called TN Action 247. Last Thursday, TN Action 247 posted on social media that the site was down for maintenance. But in fact, Action 247 had just become the first regulated U.S. mobile sports book to get its license suspended. An investigator reported to Tennessee Education Lottery Sports Wagering Committee members that credit card fraud, money laundering, and illegal proxy betting had taken place on the platform, resulting in, quote, tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars of damage. The investigator also confirmed that the site was used leading up to the Super Bowl for proxy betting with bets made for bettors out of state in violation of the Wire Act. Action 247 self-reported the violations, although not until about a week after the violations occurred, and objected to the suspension, saying in a statement, the board relied upon unfounded fears of future speculative recurrences of the activity and took draconian action just as the NCAA tournament is beginning. Indeed, the sportsbook has remained offline throughout the March Madness tournament so far. There are numerous other wrinkles here. Bettors with Action 247 accounts are complaining that their funds are now frozen. They can't withdraw them. Action 247 is partnered with a financial lender, a juxtaposition that has been seen as controversial since our sister sites, Sports Handle and TN Bets, first reported on it. And there was a hearing Wednesday during which Action 247 argued for a temporary injunction of the suspension, but the suspension has not been lifted as of this recording. 
John, there's a lot we could discuss here. What details do you find most intriguing? And does this cast a shadow over any smaller operators who might be looking to get licensed in a state after this? Well, as I tweeted the other day, it's almost as if the state never had legal gambling before. Oh, oh wait. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, they don't have a lot of experience with gambling down there. Uh, pretty obvious now. Uh, but when someone makes a pitch to offer sports betting and is partnered with a financial lender, which, mm-hmm. by the way, is very, very diplomatic of you, Eric. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think what you do is you call regulars in other states that have experienced these matters and you ask, so any potential downside here? And, you know, how about the general idea of bringing mom and pop shops into the mix? I mean, small businesses really do drive our nation's economy. I'm just not sure that legal gambling needs to be one of those sections that should have mom and pop put up a shingle. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the mom and pop thing, I mean, that's, that's, that's the fascinating thing to explore here, that yeah. they're, they're so unique. Uh, we haven't really seen this anywhere else yet. Uh, let's be clear that the larger operators are not immune from controversy. Um, you know, mm-hmm. there's the, the wager limiting issue, which we've talked about before, which is within the rules, but not a good look. Uh, there are reports of certain sites being outrageously slow in paying out withdrawals and even trying to convince customers not to withdraw. Uh, there's a new controversy that Jeff Edelstein just wrote about on cobets.com about mm-hmm. William Hill voiding a bet based on fine print in the most customer unfriendly way possible. Um, so, you know, we should be clear that it's not a case of big operators are great, small operators are shady. Uh, but that said, boy, this is a lot of alleged bad stuff from one small operator in a short period of time. Um, my understanding of money laundering is mostly limited to Saul Goodman's explanation of it on Breaking Bad, which I'm sure you'll see someday, John. Uh, But uh, in theory, starting an online sports book seems like a pretty good way to launder some dirty money. You deposit it, lose it on a bet. Now it's clean money that the sports book can report as legit funds. Not saying that's what happened here, but I'm saying it it adds up in theory. Yeah, I I hope. Tennessee learned a lesson and also other states as you say there's plenty that are not yet have not yet gotten down all the way down the road yet and um, if they're smart and I hope they are they're looking at every other state and seeing what works and what doesn't I mean that's a you know first to market is great in a lot of ways but um, being a little later is uh, has its advantages too and and if you take the best practices of the Uh, operators ahead of you and avoid the worst practices, um, you come out pretty well. (laughs) Right. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the most interesting detail to me in in all of the alleged crimes, uh, the one that that stood out to me is that the proxy betting and the violations of the Wire Act. um, And I I saw that detail. I wasn't sure exactly what it meant, if it was like geolocation was failing or not being used properly. But then I read the details. It seems this is that someone in Tennessee is creating accounts for people out of state. Reportedly, 40 such accounts were created. So uh, this this is pretty serious stuff that, uh, you know, plays right into the money laundering charges and all that at all. It's all kind of, of a piece. Uh, look, in- innocent until proven guilty, but not when it comes to lifting this suspension. I, I think with that, Action 247 has to prove very clearly that it is innocent and that safeguards are in place before a single bet can be taken. I think you have to presume guilt uh, on this one uh, as far as when you lift the suspension. They they do have a lot to prove, don't they? Yep. All right. Uh, Moving on to our next story. There are several states moving closer to legalizing sports betting during the current legislative session. Uh, Ohio is showing encouraging signs. 
South Dakota's governor just signed a framework for sports betting, and Wyoming is moving a bill along. But the biggest news is out of Connecticut, where last week, shortly after we recorded our podcast, Governor Ned Lamont announced that agreements had been reached with both of the state's two tribes. And this Wednesday, a package of bills moved out of committee, and uh, that package is anticipated to move quickly from here, with 2021 NFL season still believed by some to be a realistic target for Connecticut to launch sports betting. The bills call for both retail and mobile betting, as well as online casino. However, if the bills pass as is, it won't be a particularly competitive sports betting marketplace as each tribal casino and the state lottery get just one skin apiece. So DraftKings is in through its partnership with Foxwoods, but FanDuel may or may not end up grabbing a skin in Connecticut. Uh, John, what do you think of the approach in Connecticut? Do you believe that 2021 NFL season, that that time frame is realistic? And could you see anything tripping this up and preventing sports betting legislation from passing this year? Uh, it's Connecticut and gambling where anything can happen and more often does not happen. <laughs> you know, f- fun fact, the new deal with the tribes has to get the seal of approval from the Federal Department of the Interior. Now, I don't know if you've heard, Eric, it was in all the newspapers, but nobody reads those anymore. But there is a new presidential administration in Washington, D.C., and lots of new department heads. So once the actual bill is passed, yes, they still have to do that, too. Uh, that's when this will go into a really, really large pile of things to do at Interior. And it might not get stamped as urgent, frankly. Right. <laughs> Although a Connecticut Post story this week said the new uh, Interior leader has visited Connecticut. So it should be easier to win approval, which struck me as a hilarious sentence, except that, well, Deb Holland is from New Mexico and might be one of only a handful of Mexicans who've ever visited the nutmeg state. So there's that. <laughs> uh, still, I think those poor millionaire investment bankers in Greenwich will still have to make the 40 45-minute trek each way along Route 287 to Mawa, New Jersey, if they want to bet legally on the Giants or Jets this fall, or Cowboys or whoever. Um, right. I'd say our Rutgers, too, but, well, we don't let you do that here in Jersey. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, that's right. That hornet's nest is yet to be smacked by legislators. Will nutmeggers be allowed to bet on UConn women's basketball, which, if they can, is able to make those second-half blowouts at home have more dramatic fan enthusiasm than naive sports purists sitting next to them in the stands will think is necessary, given the lopsided score. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. They are one of the uh, of, of all the teams in all the sports. They are one of the ones that uh, in terms of people watching games to the end, they could most benefit from the point spread being involved. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, there seems to be a lot of optimism about these bills uh, from from everyone other than uh, than you, it seems. But, uh, you know, some people sometimes people are just sort of blindly optimistic and uh, thinking in terms of what they hope will happen, not what they actually think will happen. But, you know, there are people saying these things could get passed within a month or two and that there there will be betting by the fall if that happens uh it certainly amps up the pressure a little bit on new york and on massachusetts and we may end up looking back at 2021 as uh, sort of the the critical year for knocking off most of the rest of the northeastern states but then again yeah this this could take a lot longer than people are anticipating i find the whole DraftKings FanDuel element of this uh, very interesting that, you know, it looks like FanDuel has a shot at being the lottery's online skin, maybe, since the lottery is partnered with Scientific Games, which has a partnership with Flutter, which is FanDuel's parent company, Uh, although the lottery also has partnerships with BetMGM and Caesars, uh, or at least Scientific Games has those partnerships. So, I'm not sure. Mohegan Sun has a deal with Camby, which I don't believe operates any FanDuel books. So I I don't think FanDuel is in the running for the Mohegan Sun side of things. It's it's the lottery one that they're probably going to have to key on. 
if indeed we get DraftKings, but, but no FanDuel, I believe that would make two states, New Hampshire being the other, where there is, in fact, DraftKings, but no FanDuel. Interesting development in their national battle to be number one. Yeah, I think from a consumer standpoint, you're probably better off having both of them involved because uh, in addition to trying to get their own market share, they're trying to knock the other guy down. And, and that's better for the consumer because if one of them is uh, thinking they can just have terrible lines and get away with it, then the other one is going to try and undercut that. So, that, you know, even though there's not going to be a ton of competition in the state anyway, I think having those two battle it off anywhere is probably better for the customer. Agree. And especially when you focus on, you know, all the sports books that have been out there now for a couple of years, which ones have been uh, accused of the more questionable activities. DraftKings and FanDuel's names are popping up less frequently than some of the other names. So not only do you have two big operators that will sort of force each other to price things reasonably, but you have, in a relative sense, at least so far, what seem to be two of the most trustworthy operators. Uh, yeah, there were a couple of early glitches, but right. we're going, talking about 2018, so it's 2021 now. Yeah, they've done pretty well. Yeah. All right. Uh, for our third story, let's talk March Madness. We're down to the Sweet 16 in the men's tournament, and we've lost a one seed, two two seeds, three three seeds, and two four seeds, while a 15, a 12, and two 11s remain in the hunt. And all of those upsets, with underdogs going 29 and 22 against the spread so far, add up to good news for the sports books. Bet MGM's Jeff Stoneback told our friend David Purdom of ESPN, the first three days of the tournament have probably been our best ever. The Superbook in Las Vegas said they won as much on Loyola Chicago's upset of Illinois Sunday as they typically do on a primetime NFL game. And they told ESPN that their hold through the first three days was above 11%. Uh, when we had Chris Altruda on the show last week, we talked about the possibility of COVID throwing the tournament off. So far, the damage has been minimal with one game, Oregon versus VCU, getting canceled due to positive tests on the VCU team. So bets on that game were refunded, while futures bets on VCU, unfortunately, went down as a loss. Uh, John, any thoughts on the impact of the upsets so far or any tales to share about your own March Madness betting? Uh, so I looked up one of my questions to Chris last week, and after noting that most of the supposedly dominant conferences results basically were internecine warfare, a phrase I totally wish I had used because it never gets said out loud, um, I asked literally, is there a chance that the Big Ten is wildly overrated this season? Well, how about that? Yeah. Um, as for betting for the segment, I'll just note that it can be a pretty profitable uh, enterprise to have married a Rambler, a Loyola of Chicago grad. Uh, two bad New Jersey was a few months too late for Loyola's epic run to the Final Four in 2018 March Madness, but I'll just say profits have been made. Mm, okay then. Uh, <laughs> so uh, you're you're all aboard the uh, the sister Jean train. Uh, pretty much, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah I, I did 12 years of Catholic school. I, uh, I'm entitled. <laughs> right. Um, so we, we talked last week uh, about the company free roll bracket pool. Uh, and I know nobody wants to hear how my bracket is doing. It's almost as annoying as talking about one's fantasy football team. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's our podcast. Uh, I'm going to touch on it briefly. Anyway, I, I'm in that position heading into the Sweet 16 where – it looks like I'm doing okay. I've racked up a decent number of points. I'm tied for 11th place out of 58, but my winner is out. I had Illinois, so uh, I, I didn't heed your Big Ten ad advice. So uh, I'm cooked unless one of the teams nobody has, ideally uh, some a team like Loyola or Oregon State, if they beat Loyola, uh, ideally a team like that 
because that's specifically that's Illinois corner of the bracket. That would really help me. Uh, A team like that goes on a run all the way to the championship. That's the only way that I have a chance in this thing, which is a long way of saying I'm basically drawing dead and I may as well focus on my sports bets instead of my bracket at this point. Well, well, Loyola is really a four seed. I mean, it was just a, uh, uh, a, a contrivance by the NCA to list them as eight, so they'd get a Illinois versus Illinois game, which uh, you know was was interesting. But it it was completely unfair to both Illinois and Loyola, and uh, you know it, it's one of the most outrageous uh, situations I've seen. I think Kentucky Wichita State was in this uh, hmm. about five or six years ago, where they just said, "Well, let's make it a one and an eight because we want to see them play each other." And, <laughs> it's, just, it's it's you know it's just stupid. I mean, yeah. I'm 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 just frustrated with the brackets in general. You know, uh, some schools manage themselves to get themselves a like an 11 seed every year, so you don't have to play a one in the first two rounds. So you're in right. a Sweet 16. Oh, how about that Cinderella? Yada yada. You didn't beat a one or a two. I mean, you know, I I'd much rather be an 11 than an eight or a nine. Yeah, uh, unless unless you're uh, Loyola in this case, <laughs> an eight that's good enough to beat the one. But um, but uh, yeah, and and uh, just to go back to uh, Purdom's ESPN roundup, uh, he reported a few interesting bets, and there there were two that really stood out to me. Um, I'm kind of immune to the talk of the big winning parlay bet at this point. Uh, th- those are starting to bore me, um, but but I'm not immune to the massive risk bet. Uh, and somebody in New Jersey put ten grand on Gonzaga to win its first round game in order to win 66 bucks. <laughs> I know it's a winning bet. The guy, the guy or gal won $66, but uh, that is just not worth it at all, especially in the COVID era. Crazy things can happen. There is just not enough upside to justify that risk. And then the other big bet that stood out to me was someone betting Ohio state at 20 to one to win the whole tournament. And it was a huge bet, $100,000 to win $2 million. And, of course, they lost in the first round to Oral Roberts, as we'll discuss when we do our bankroll segment. Yeah, Uh, clearly not a uh, Gamble on podcast listener there. Clearly not. (laughs) (laughs) It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. There's never a bad time to bring awareness to problem gambling, but March is a particularly good time to do so since this is Problem Gambling Awareness Month. As more and more forms of gambling become legal in more and more states, there's an increasing number of organizations and programs out there working to help problem gamblers. And one notable one is Conscious Gaming, an independent nonprofit created by geolocation company GeoComply. Joining us now is Conscious Gaming's VP of Corporate Social Responsibility and Communications, Seth Polanski, who is new to Conscious Gaming, having started there this past December, but is not new to the gambling industry, having worked for Caesars and the World Series of Poker for more than a decade. Seth, thanks for joining us on Gamble On. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Yes, Problem Gambling Awareness Month, but it's a 12-month job for me, but glad we're highlighting it here in March. Absolutely. So uh, my co-host, John, here uh, wrote an article a couple of weeks ago about Conscious Gaming's Better Safe program, which aims to educate the public about the differences between regulated sites and unregulated sites. What are the current levels of public confusion like on that front? And have you found that the illegal offshore sites are going out of their way to try to fool Americans and blur those lines? Yeah, very good. Yeah, John, uh, it, it stemmed 
from looking at American Gaming Association data that said a third of individuals are unaware if online betting is even legal in their state. And you guys know, uh, one problem people say is we're bombarded with advertisements in all these states with all these gaming routers and things opening up. So when you think a third of people don't even know that this is legal. So it's why Conscious Gaming was eager to launch the Better Safe campaign, which spelled better, B-E-T-T-O-R to provide a one-stop shop to educate consumers because there was no one initiative driving consumer education and empowerment um, across all online betting types, right? Casino games, poker, sports. So Better Safe is sort of here to fill that void. And I guess to address the issue you asked about the illegal guys, I think you can look no further than I think my former coworker, uh, Jessica Wellman, um, pointed out an article, I think last week, where my bookie had placed apps inside the Google Play Store that were supposedly bet MGM apps, a legal operator, as opposed to my bookie, who's an illegal operator. So they literally have no shame, these illegal sites. And if they could fool Google, you bet they can fool consumers. Um, so they've had a couple decade head start. Obviously, the illegal market to hone their craft. They know what marketing is most effective. They have search engine optimized their website. So they come up at the top of Google and other web browsers. So they prey on consumers to manipulate and make them believe they are legitimate. And they pay no taxes and no licensing fees and all those things. So these are big challenges and we needed to help raise awareness to consumers because certainly these illegal sites aren't going to give up their business without a fight. You know, Seth, I was intrigued that the uh, polling was in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Now, it's hard to believe, but it's almost 10 years ago that New Jersey voters approved by about a two to one margin, a statewide referendum uh, allowing for sports betting. Now, it took seven years to went through the courts and all that, but still, uh, most residents, when they saw that on the ballot, they said, yeah, let's do that. And of course, it's been legal for three years. And also online casino in New Jersey, you know, along with Delaware, uh, launched in November 2013. Uh, so that's been around. And the commercials, frankly, in the New York City market have been around forever. So uh, there, New Jerseyans would seem to be way ahead compared to, say, Pennsylvanians who have only in the last couple of years had uh, sports betting and online casino. Uh, so Logic would almost dictate that New Jerseyans would be much more savvy about recognizing illegal versus legal sites. But, you know, what did your polling show on that front? Yeah, so it's a very good point. And that's actually why the Better Safe campaign is directed advertising to New Jersey and Pennsylvania, because we really wanted to look at what a mature market, New Jersey, that's been there a while compared to Pennsylvania and both offering all the full suite of gambling options, what the differences are. But we were shocked when we did a survey uh, in New Jersey and Pennsylvania with consumers in those markets and found that more than 25% of respondents in New Jersey and more than 30% of respondents in Pennsylvania are still unaware that online betting is legal in their state or believe that it's illegal. Um, and then the numbers even go further, where uh, an average of 75% of consumers in each of those markets could not differentiate between a legal and an illegal betting site. Yeah, so I would think that, you know, if, if New Jerseyans, with, with all that experience, still are struggling with this issue, without having done the other 48 states to this degree, you can pretty much assume that logically that you know, they're having as much or likely even more confusion than New Jersey does. Yes, absolutely right. So 
you know, Better Safe is a timely campaign that we think, uh, you know, we have a website, bettersafe.org, where people can get information. And it's going to be necessary in all these states that are launching. And it shows you it doesn't matter whether you're believed to be mature seven years on in the case of New Jersey or just starting out. Uh, there's going to need to be awareness to consumers and all the advertising that's coming to offer these new products by the regulated market isn't enough uh, for consumers to really know the differences. So let me ask you about self-exclusion. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a major part of the push toward more responsible gaming controls. I've talked about this previously on the podcast, how I personally much prefer a site that allows me to self-exclude by vertical. So I can play my poker or make my sports bets without having to control that lure to lose all my winnings back on blackjack or slots. Um, some sites let you go vertical by vertical, but for others, either you block everything or you block nothing. Does conscious gaming have a position on whether that should be uniform and, and what the proper approach is? Right. So we definitely hearing you speak as a consumer, that's what we agree with. We support an approach that gives consumers the power and more protection. So we have our new technology tool called play pause, which works to give consumers the chance to take a pause, to take a step back. So recognize they may be exhibiting signs of problem gambling and, and they can take control and do something about it. And so our tools, very customizable. It can handle self exclusions. It can handle cooling down periods. We're working with sports leagues, for example, to get what uh, we call impermissible betters lists. So say if the NHL wants to restrict their players, coaches, and referees from betting on hockey, we can affect that in play pause so that the hockey category could be blocked, but other sports categories would remain open. So the industry needs tools that can automate these sort of things and that can work across states' lines and are effective, you know, throughout the U.S. where we're dealing with a patchwork of rules and regulations that makes it difficult. We need to knit everything together in a seamless manner where consumers can make a one-stop choice and get coverage. You may be playing on one operator's um, in one operator's sports book, for example, but you need protections on others too. So we intend to tie all these things together and give the consumers the protection uh, they look for. And I guess the last thing I just want to say here is we, we formed an advisory board uh, very recently and we named a trio of PhDs from Harvard, UNLV, and Washington State who are doing a ton of research on some of these areas. And we're going to be guided by that research and what the clinicians and the addiction specialists and those really on the front lines of these issues are sharing. And I can tell you, cooling off periods seems to be a very favorable approach that when you think of self-exclusion, if you're forced to pick between five years and a lifetime that some of these places offer, usually a consumer may choose neither because they're afraid that's too too long a period of time. So we need to adjust the tools to deal with the modern day gambling market that exists today and allow the consumer more control to help intervene at an earlier stage where there may be an issue. Yeah, that, that's a great point. The, um, the the cooling off period that, you know, you and I with our with our uh, backgrounds in poker, we know all about the term tilt that sometimes, that, you know, all you need to do is say, I'm not, you know, block me for three days 
that's that's all it'll take for me to you know or maybe less than that maybe six hours and I'll I'll be in a good state of mind or or whatever but I'm curious do you have any any data about whether any of the different verticals play into gambling addiction and and problem gambling more than others like again my personal experience I've never gone on tilt sports betting uh but I but I can easily at the blackjack table I don't know if that's got data that you're still gathering but you know whether whether that varies uh, much by vertical to your knowledge well some people certainly have a passion or um are interested in one game and have no interest in another right like some people don't play slots at all mm-hmm. and are sports betting focused or like blackjack but will never touch that's not so it varies my person but the the issue in addiction is once it grabs hold of you and once you're in a position where you've dug yourself into a hole, you are almost looking to use any opportunity to gamble as a way to get yourself out. So a lot of folks, like when I was at Caesars, if you self-excluded, they were extending your self-exclusion across all their properties nationwide because they knew you were you were dealing with a problem. They didn't want to put you in an environment where you're close to it. So as long as you're sharing um, the same gaming space with all these different verticals. It's not great for you to be in that environment where you're, you're one slip away potentially to do it. That really setting limits, deposit, betting, cooling off, um, all those sorts of things are a better way, time limits you can do. And really start to, um, the tools exist now, technology, particularly in online, to understand and set these limits and learn about your behavior that you may not know. My son in video games, it's a problem, right? Particularly in the pandemic. I'm putting those time limits on how long you can play the game because he would be there forever and he doesn't even realize how long he's been playing, right? Same thing applies here. Yeah, I forget exactly how old your son is relative to mine, but I, it sounds like we probably have some of the same war stories about and have developed the same hatred for Fortnite, I would assume. <laughs> exactly, indeed. Yeah, Seth, you know, uh, the NFL's been in the news, even though it's in the offseason recently, for mainly for a TV rights deal, but also Commissioner Roger Goodell sort of in passing uh, said, oh, you know, we're, we are looking to engage our fans and in uh, ways to uh, engage in legal sports betting. And I know you have an NFL uh, experience on your resume, and I'm curious, uh, A, what, what years was that stint? And also in that era, I wonder if sports betting and gambling in general was something that was at the forefront of a lot of meetings and discussions, or was it so off the, you know, beyond the pale and off the rails that there was never even a need to address it because it was hundred percent against, and there was no, no other uh, way to look at it. Yeah. Well, I was there in the early two thousands and left in 2008. So first of all, I should say kudos. Um, I was heavily involved in sports rights stuff when I was there handling some television matters and kudos to Brian Rolap and Hans Schroeder and the team there because getting the rights fees that they have uh, in light of the environment, moving to streaming and keeping all their, the majority of their stuff on broadcast is quite an achievement. But um, on this, I remember being unable to do a March madness bracket, for example, Uh prohibited as an NFL employee, we Uh played fantasy football but it was for bragging rights where we had a plaque up in our department denoting the season long winner, but we couldn't put any other stakes um, on it. So, you, you know, the NFL had some issues in the fifties and sixties 
that clearly shaped their thinking for decades. Mm -hmm. And they rightfully wanted nothing that could affect their on-field product from an integrity standpoint. So, you know, there's been college um, point shaving uh, scandals, European soccer issues, tennis. I mean, there should be real concern about this and making sure the leagues are putting the resources and guideposts in place to make sure nothing compromises their games. So uh, I think it's just today there's, there's a recognition that this is happening with or without them. They cannot stop it. Right. So they have to uh, put their arms around it and figure out a way to have a seat at the table and help guide where this is all going. Yeah. I mean, did fantasy sports and their kind of embrace of that a few years ago, even before the passport ruling, did that sort of, uh, lead you to believe, even though you had left the the uh, the league entirely, to believe that they might someday kind of turn on sports betting, or were you surprised, you know, in recent months and even a year or so that the NFL has gone the direction you said uh, that I guess you say is inevitable? No, uh, to use a betting term, I would have lost everything I owned <laughs> if I bet 15 years ago that the NFL would have a team in Las Vegas and they'd be a casino partner with Caesars and relationships with sports books. It really was unfathomable, um, you know, just 13 years ago, I guess, when I was there. But it's an adapt or die world we live in. And the leagues have always had to do this dance where they have to protect their core business while slowly getting comfortable with where things are going. So in my, in my new role at Conscious Gaming, I've been having discussions with all the sports leagues as they try as we try to get them signed up for play pause. Right. We want to get coaches, players, referees, and other key employees into our funnel uh, where the, they can block the betting for those folks. So integrity is still important. It, it, and the sports books and the sports leagues and every everyone's aligned on the same thing. Or we become WWE, right? If you can't trust that the games are fair and uh, nothing is tilting the outcome, uh, there's no business for anyone. All right, a quick uh, bonus question to end on since you worked for the WSOP for about a dozen years. Uh, any insights or hunches on what the 2021 World Series will look like? Uh, and and more general question, will the live game ever be the same now that angle shooters will always have an excuse to cover their tells with a mask? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting, the world we're in now. So we'll see uh, how far masks go. You know, I, ha- I haven't... Uh, seen them announce a schedule for 2021 yet. Right. And, um, right. you know, that would have been out by now when I was there, they, they always try to get an announcement out by the new year. So um, it's obviously a difficult situation where they, and they get thousands of people gathered in close proximity and you have the issue of, it's not just, you can't say you're confining nine players to a table. They're moving around constantly, right? You got to collapse tables. You get, reseated and things like that. So it's a tough situation. Um, but what I don't think people realize is how difficult it is going to be for them to schedule 2021 because convention space for seven or an eight week period is typically very difficult to get their hands on in the fall. It's a heavy convention season. These conventions are booked out years in advance. So whether those are happening would help determine where the WSOP can schedule their event this year, if they can at all. Um, I thought they managed pretty well 2020 in light of everything that was going on. I guess if I have one bit of information, a hunch, 
the Rio will never host the World Series of Poker again, um, would be my guess. And that if it does happen in 2021, it would be happening at a property on the strip that Caesars owns, but not the Rio. Hmm, interesting. Well, if that comes true, there will be a few people who will miss the Rio and probably a lot of people who will tell you how they'll, they will uh, certainly not be missing the Rio. It, it, it had its pluses and minuses for sure, but I will say having an off-strip roll-in, huge parking lot, easy accessible, mm-hmm. easy in and out, the convenience factors of that compared to getting in and out of a strip property, um, to me, was, was a very important um, tool. There's a, a big Nevada base of players, and a lot of people these days with Airbnbs and everything else stay, right. stay at other places besides these resorts. Right. All right. Well, uh, great talking to you, Seth. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, wh- where can people go to learn more about Better Safe or Play Pause or any other conscious gaming initiatives? Yeah, my pleasure to be on. Thanks, Eric and John, for having me. Sure. People can go to bettersafe.org, and we spell better like the gambler in that case, or consciousgaming.org to see what we're, we're up to. I appreciate uh, the time today. Fantastic. Thanks again, Seth. Thank you. Two men, $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. All of last week's bets were March Madness bets, and the results were a bit of a roller coaster. John put $100 on Gonzaga to win it all at plus 205. No outcome there yet but so far so good. John put $110 on Michigan State to cover as two-point favorites in their first four game. It looked good for a while, but lost in overtime. Uh, John, you're banned from betting on Michigan State for a little while, I think. Uh, I bet $50 on each of the four 12 seeds on the money line. Only got one win out of the four, but uh, it was the right one to win. The biggest underdog, Oregon State, at plus 350, triumphed over Tennessee. So that produced a profit of $175. The other three each lost 50 bucks, including a heartbreaker with UCSB against Creighton, which means the four bets combined won us $25. Uh, And then there were my two bets on the Oral Roberts-Ohio State game. The over was a really bad bet. It lost even with the benefit of overtime. So we dropped $110 there. But my $20 on the Oral Roberts money line got there for us. The 15 seed beat the two seed, and we profited $240 on that 12 to 1 bet. Uh, Add it all up, and we won $45 on the week. So we're now $861 below our starting stack, and we have $1,704 on hold in futures bets. So that leaves us with $7,435 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first. And I'll stick with college basketball, still admitting I have no expertise on any of this, but picking up betting advice here and there. And I was convinced by some expert on something I listened to that Baylor is the perfect team to end this nice run Villanova is on. Uh, Nova, of course, lost their senior point guard, Colin Gillespie, to an injury late in the season. They were quickly written off, but they managed to beat a 12 seed and a 13 seed in the opening weekend of the tournament. Uh, In short, the experts insight was that those teams were not equipped to take advantage of Villanova's newfound weakness at point guard, but Baylor, the number one seed in the region and the number two team in the country uh, is Uh, the line is seven most places, but I'm grabbing it at Tipico at six and a half. Uh, It'll cost us an extra $5. Uh, We're giving six and a half points at minus 115. 
let's do $115 to win $100 that Baylor covers as I go against my local team, Villanova, for the second week in a row. I love that pick for all the reasons you gave. And I noticed that someone on Twitter, uh, I think they said they they wagered for like 50 bucks on Oral Roberts based on your tip. Yes, yes. Um, someone someone terrifying for Terrifying for me to think that that <laughs> anybody would bet anything on anything we pack. I thought this was clearly labeled for amusement purposes only. But hey, the guy yeah. won, so what the heck. Yeah. But listen, if, if you follow any of our advice and it wins, let us know. If you follow our advice and it loses, and it loses <laughs> keep it to yourself. Yeah, that's on you. So anyway, with that in mind, it could be Florida State money line over Michigan. You pay me from Michigan State specifically, not from any right. Michigander team. Right. Uh, 100 to win 125. Uh, look, my hunch was right about the Big Ten, I think. And the Wolverines didn't look any better to me than second round opponent LSU, which was like an eight or nine seed. So Florida State 100 to win 125. All right. I like this one a lot. In my bracket, I have Florida State winning their region, and uh, I might have yeah. a three-team money line parlay for the Sweet 16 that Florida State is part of. So uh, yeah. we'll, we'll see what happens there, but I like it. Um, for my second bet, uh, my LeBron MVP bet is suddenly a pretty big long shot after his high ankle sprain. So I'm going to chase the likely loss and try to win it back on a different NBA award, most improved player. It's a two-player race. The Knicks' Julius Randle versus the Pistons' Jeremy Grant. Uh, everyone else is 14 to 1 or more, so it's really down to these two guys. And it's an interesting comparison. Grant's stats have taken a bigger leap, but it's because he's trying to be the alpha dog on a lousy team. The Pistons are 12 and 31, worst record in the Eastern Conference. And Grant is averaging 23.4 points per game, almost double his previous best, but his shooting percentages are actually down. Voters recognize that these are hollow stats he's compiling. Randall, on the other hand, is leading the Knicks in points, rebounds, and assists, and leading them to a surprising 500 record and a probable playoff berth. Uh, the Knicks are fun and relevant this year, and playing in the country's biggest media market doesn't hurt when it comes time to vote. Randall is averaging career highs in every category, including his shooting percentages being way up. Uh, and even if his points per game leap isn't as steep as Grant's, his stats are not empty. They're meaningful. As long as he stays healthy, he's winning this thing. We can still get him at even money. So let's take that $100 that we're probably losing on LeBron and bet it on Julius Randle. That uh, sounds like a lock to me, which is, well, the last time I said that it won. So maybe okay. maybe it's right. Uh, this reminds me that when uh, John Calipari was coaching the Nets, uh, he once made the sort of mundane but sort of yogi-like observation. No matter how bad a team is, somebody has to lead it in scoring, you know? yes. <laughs> which is, is kind of the point here. I, I think it was a subtle shot at Kendall Gill, who we didn't get along with. But mm. uh, nonetheless, uh, there's a point to be made there. So my other pick, uh, Thursday's the second round of the PGA Tour match play event in Austin, Texas. So we have a little round one match form to play with this time. Um, give me 100 then at even money on Matt Wallace to take down an exhausted 47-year-old fellow Englishman, Lee Westwood, who after Wednesday loss already has to be thinking about maxing out his prep time for the upcoming Masters as he seeks to finally capture that elusive first major that he's been desperately going after for so many years. And he's in great form right now. He doesn't need to be... Uh, blowing all his energy on the match play event. Uh, I will add, it's a shame that the Scott Scheffler, Xander Shuffle Friday odds aren't out because Scheffler Shuffle is fun to say. And at least <laughs> I got to mention it. Yeah. And you said it uh, perfectly with no, no stutters or stumbles. Scheffler Shuffle. Yeah. I kind of like it rolls off the tongue. <laughs> 
But instead, we've got Wallace over Westwood, which, you know, also has some alliteration in it. Sure. (laughs) And that will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks, everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Seth Polanski. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore Bets. Go to US Bets for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And with that, John, please take us out. Well, Eric, I, I tried to dabble more in the tournament this year. I really did, knowing that I'm very fortunate and that I seem to be psychologically incapable of risking much money on sports or on anything else, for that matter. Um, so I bet all 32 first-round games. Well, except I couldn't bet on Rutgers, as noted, and that one game was canceled, so 30. And by the second evening, I couldn't even look at another basketball. Now, even going 0-5 with five heavy favorites that forgot to get one more basket to cover the big spreads for the school's boosters, which surprised me a little bit, um, all told, I'd lost the equivalent of like a sports bar imported draft beer outside of happy hour. So I'm hoping, I guess, to recuperate enough to catch some of this weekend's game to kind of get my mojo back. Uh, although this is such a social time of the year, but not quite this year. So that that doesn't help matters. Uh, so with all that, until next time, everybody, gamble on. <laughs>